I can do things that wear it without asking anybody, even my Coney wife. Island, world's biggest barrel of fun. Anywhere else your imagination takes you. Okay, we've done that now, Mark. You get the whole show now, you hurry, hurry, hurry. Anything's possible at Disneyland. Welcome aboard the Themed Attraction Podcast, where we take you for a ride through the wonderful world of theme park design, that is. You've just set sail on a remarkable journey of discovery and discussion with theme park industry masters of the craft. I'm your skipper, Freddie Martin, and making the waves with me around the river is theme park designer, master planner, and chief creative officer for Storyland Studios, Mel McGowan. Which way is the river taking us today, Mel? Well, Freddie, today is an exciting opportunity for the podcast because we get to go deep into the rabbit hole of Meow Wolf and its founder, Vince Cadlebeck. Meow Wolf started as a collective of, uh, of true artists, uh, street artists who wanted to create art installations that people could not only view but ultimately walk into. Now it's grown into a company of experiential artists who've built three of the most mind-bending location-based attractions in the world. And here's the thing. It wasn't until Vince and his crew won the Themed Entertainment Award for House of Eternal Return in Santa Fe, New Mexico, that they realized they were part of the themed entertainment industry. Accidental theme park? Not bad. Not bad at all. All righty, folks. Keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the boat, because this episode is about to leave the dock. Hit it, Sam. Well, Mel, the exciting thing about our industry, I think that people think of from the outside is that there's just, it's the most creative place in the world, you know? So we have our heroes and we see them as having had this opportunity to create beautiful, wonderful theme park attractions, et cetera, and that they had no restraints on them. Uh, and I, I think what we're going to find today and as we talk to our guests, that, that the restraints are real, but that often spurs something that you can't make up that you can't buy yeah definitely i think uh it's one of those things when you don't have uh, a lot of budget and resources um a lot of i've had clients be apologetic I'm, I'm sorry that i'm limiting your creativity because we have some limited resources or a budget and i've never found that to be true i've absolutely found that uh you know, the, the, um, lack of resource just requires <laughs> a lot more creative, heavy lifting. And that's certainly the, that's certainly true when you have that intersection of true art and, uh, experience entertainment, you know, I think of, uh, Cirque du Soleil starting as, right. as street performers. Um, and in this case, you know, these environmental artists, um, you know, just starting uh, something that's just a compelling thing that, you know, if you would have gone through the industry standard operating procedure of, you know, uh, locational analysis and market studies and throughput, feasibility, design day, industrial engineering, uh, and, you know, oh, we got to get an IP through here. If you would have run it through the process filter that uh, most uh, producers in our industry would run it through, there's no way you would have gotten the, where, where they, they stumbled into, uh, into that particular rabbit hole. So, um, yeah, definitely, uh, always love the idea for, you know, it reminds me of where Walt was when he gathered that, you know, that at that, uh, early version of IAPA and he gathered yeah. the top amusement operators 
in the country at the time. And they just thought he was out of his mind, but you know, he had been <laughs> synthesizing, synthesizing things from around the world for decades and um, into something that really became this completely new creation. Yeah. And, you know, the idea of sort of limited resources not allowing you uh, to be creative, they actually sort of force you to go that next level. I was thinking, you know, the the necessity is the mother of invention. It's really necessity is the mother of imagination. You got to figure this out. And, uh, you know, Everybody has learned that at some point in their lives, uh, whether it's the uh, the single mom or the uh, the guy in a cabin who needs to make fire. Right? I I really need to right now figure out the way that I'm going to survive, and so they get creative, and I think that's a, a very human thing to get to do. We're seeing people do creative things in the world these days. You know, you think of uh, so many, so many opportunities with social media and uh, the democracy of free media to be able to create things on your own. Uh, and we see so much of that happening, um, but it's rare that uh, they kind of cause a stir in the way that Meow Wolf has done so in the past few years, uh, creating such a unique location that people f- have no idea what they're coming to fu- to see, and then they get there and they find themselves in the middle of an imaginative, creative universe they couldn't have expected uh, coming into. Well, yeah, and I, I really love where we went in the conversation about what it is, you know, in our core genetics and DNA yeah. that that really hunger for that sense of uh, discovery and wonderment that uh, is so lacking in the modern world. Well, folks, today our guest is Vince Kadlubek from Meow Wolf. He's the founder, and he brought together his own collective of artists who were uh, just banging around in Santa Fe, New Mexico, and seeking out a, a different way to utilize that creative community that was there in Santa Fe. And they took the leap and decided to create more art in a way that uh, would draw people into an entirely different universe. And we hope you will enjoy our interview right now with Vince Kadlubek. Well, it's so good to have you on the show, Vince. We're, we're really grateful you took some time out for us uh, to talk about uh, something that's really close to our hearts, and that's the idea of uh, good experiences that actually transform you when you experience them. So this is great to have you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, we've been uh, excited about this one for a while, and it's uh, a <laughs> challenge to schedule these, but uh, worth the wait. So. Yeah, cool. Definitely worth the wait. Well, we've been talking about this since uh, early summer, I think. So thank you very much for, for joining us. Hey, uh, you know, for for those few people who have not experienced or heard of uh, Meow Wolf, um, you know, we, we've talked about it a lot in in some of our conversations about what what a transformative or a, a new experience is some, yeah, that and pointed towards Meow Wolf as examples. And uh, but for those of you who haven't seen or heard that, uh, what's your elevator pitch on the Meow Wolf phenomenon? Uh, it's like the toughest question. Um, how to describe Meow Wolf? as an elevator pitch. Uh, uh, no, it's <laughs> exactly. It can, it can be, it can be so many things, but like 
um, probably the best way to say say it is it's an you know we create a large scale immersive storytelling experiences and they are created from multimedia art so it's like through multimedia art we create large scale immersive storytelling experiences um, really like at the heart of it we want to place people into an unknown environment um, one that is visually engaging and one that's engaging to the senses, interesting to look at, but one that's ultimately mm. explorable. You know, we want to create unknown explorable environments for people to wander through and inhabit and discover. Yeah. And so, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what we do. And, you know, of course it's, it's a selfie palace, so you can take a lot of really great pictures. <laughs> it kind of feels like an escape room, um, but you don't have to like. There's no, no there's no task that you have to do. It's kind of like a playground. It's kind of like a children's museum. Yeah. It's kind of like a great art museum. But yeah, so it's a lot of things. Well, you know, when I was in film school, I, I um, studied environmental art and actually got to work on some uh, experimental. Um, kind of installations. Uh, and it, historically, I think there's been this kind of break between high art and, and you know, even some of the environmental experiential art right. that's been created and, you know, kind of the, you know, the unwashed masses in the entertainment uh, world, in the themed entertainment world, um, which I've always considered a collective art form. Uh, but what would you say is the you're you're I love the convergent station name because in a way you're you're kind of converging yeah. high low art and entertainment. What what are the things that kind of um, set you apart initially from kind of the I, I don't want to call it mainstream but that that main fairway of uh, you know the artists that have been doing kind of environmental installations. Well, to kind of set the stage a little bit for Meow Wolf and where it came from. You know, we all grew up in, or a lot of us that founded the company and founded the movement of Meow Wolf grew up in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And Santa Fe is a very um, dense, like there's a lot of density of art and culture in Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a very prominent identity because we're like a tourism market in Santa Fe. There's a very prominent identity that Santa Fe portrays itself as. And it's very like um, Southwestern art, of course, and cowboy boots and turquoise mm. and uh, sunsets and, you know, landscapes and, mm. and Adobe architecture. Um, but when you're like, when you're born in 1982 and you're growing up there and you're, you know, you're a millennial um, and you're like now in your 20s and you're, you're wanting to express yourself in all sorts of ways that are like more American, you know, uh, more American culture or more like new generation culture. Uh, mm -hmm. There wasn't much space for us to do that in Santa Fe, you know, like there weren't many galleries or project spaces or, you know, newspaper articles that were like welcoming our yeah. culture at the time, you know, and yeah. um, keep in mind this when, you, when you don't want to cut and paste Georgia O'Keeffe <laughs> over and yeah. over. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And of course yeah. we like, we love like the history of, Santa Fe and we love the history of New Mexico, but we also want to express from a place that's authentic. That's what any artist or any creative wants to do. Yeah. And so, um, you know, it was 2008 when we all got together and decided that instead of waiting for somebody to invite us into their 
into their venue. We were just going to start a venue of our own. Um, and this was like the end of the, the end of the Bush era. This was, uh, a bunch of millennials. We didn't even have the tag yet that we were millennials, you know? And so we were all just kind of right. like, <laughs> outside, like outside looking in to a lot of things. And so there was this kind of ferocity that came out of our, um, forming of Meow Wolf that was like, now, you know, we have to do it ourselves. Like no one's going to invite us into this conversation. Yeah. We have to do it ourselves. So we, we rented a space and we formed this like social group and we called ourselves Meow Wolf. We pulled our name out of two hats. Meow came out of one hat, Wolf came out of the other. <laughs> totally non sequitur, <laughs> random. And uh, we we started to meet and 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 make you know we we booked parties, we booked music shows, and then we also built out the environment of the space that we rented with a bunch of like materials that we pulled out of trash, uh, out of the trash, out of the, out of dumpsters, because yeah. um, we didn't have money, so we couldn't buy like good materials. So we were just like pulling stuff out of dumpsters <laughs> to, uh, to create these worlds. And, um, we didn't really have a, we didn't think about ourselves as like themed environment. Like that wasn't the term we used. Right. Right. Um, term like immersive art wasn't even used at the time. What we were doing, we felt like hadn't really been done before, at least to us. Like we hadn't yeah. seen work come off the walls like this. We didn't, we didn't see work that was anchored in story. We didn't see artwork that was so maximal that covered every square inch, um, that used every medium. Um, and so we just started to just mess around with this, with this immersive art thing without even knowing what it was that we were doing, you know? And, um, it wasn't until later yeah, that you, like, had this you know, we learned about team lab or we learned about, Terrell's uh, LACMA exhibit or Kasama, like it was like in that same era that Team Lab, Kasama, Terrell um, all kind of came into focus for us. And then this really important place called City Museum in St. Louis that I'm sure a lot of your listeners know about. It's an amazing place. Museum, like, yeah, it's just like the, it's, it's the, the godfather of this whole thing. You know what I mean? Like City Museum, yeah. when we visited that place, it was like, it really, the light bulb started to go off for us. You know, we realized like, Oh, we're part of yeah. this, this thing, you know? And so that's kind of the quick, the quick brief. My kneecap still might not be recovered. <laughs> uh, I I'm still injured from craw crawling through a uh, city museum, but uh, yeah. it is a beautiful installation. It's great. Great to have that as yeah. the Godfather. Yeah. 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 Uh, you've, you, I heard you say uh, at some point, you know, that, when we think of a typical gallery, that the the concept of going and looking at a painting, looking at a pedestal with a sculpture on it, is is an education. But stepping in is an entirely different uh, moment. Yeah, like basically, like in order to step up to a painting or step up to a pedestal that has a sculpture on it, like and know how to interact with that, like like you know how to interact with like this like square framed square on the, on a wall. It takes education. It takes like experience, yeah. you know, um, you have to have gone into a lot of galleries or you've, you've had to study art to understand like, what am I looking at and how am I supposed to engage with this? It's a very esoteric experience for most people, for like the vast majority of people. 
Mm-hmm. Whereas walking inside of an immersive space is something that we do all the time. Like it's what we do as humans. It's what we've done since we were born. Yeah. Like we were, we were born yeah. into an immersive space called the hospital. And then we go shopping in immersive <laughs> spaces, grocery stores <laughs> or gas stations. Yeah. And like, so we know when we walk through the door of something and we're inside of it, our brain knows how to quickly interpret where we are and how we react, how we are to react to it. And so I think because of that, yeah. immersive spaces are just naturally like way more attractive to the vast majority of people in this world, like 95% of people in this world. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that uh, Santa Fe has such fertile soil and free air. You know, I, I don't know if either one of you guys have experienced the trail of infinite space that was done by Antoine Pradoc. That was, uh, I would argue, probably Disney's first, uh, you know, kind of uh, abstract kind of experiential art. Uh, and it was, it was done actually as part of their uh, big motel outside of Disneyland Paris. But uh, like you said, you can be a child uh, climbing over uh, an abandoned car, uh, climbing over a, a buried UFO uh, in this, this trail of infinite space that represents kind of, you know, I guess Route 66 coursing through the desert. But, oh, cool. you know, I can't believe that uh, those, you know, as an architect, he was able to be enough of an artist to, to let anyone build <laughs> that thing. Um, nice. but what, yeah, there's gotta be something about your, uh, your piece of the, the desert there that, uh, you know, presumably drug free makes you think of, uh, different dimensions and realities. I love it. <laughs> I mean, the Southwest is where it's at. Like, I mean, the entirety of the Southwest, the four corners area, Utah, you know, in Arizona, these are like, it, it's the landscape, uh, the landscape pulls you into psychedelia. Like, yeah, it's, 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 it's a series of vortices that like take you into other dimensions. And, and then you, and then with that, like you have this like long history of fringe cultures finding their way to the Southwest, you know, as, mm-hmm. as, as mm-hmm. way back as like when, I mean, as way back as like indigenous populations, um, that, study or that, that practice, you know, have mystical practices, um, or, you know, have psychedelic practices, psychedelic rituals, you know, or, or when the Spanish came in, this area of the United States was so far North from where the capital of new Spain was, which was Mexico city. It was so far North that they didn't really even like think about it or care about it or care about governing it. So it kind of existed on an Island in, in Northern new Spain, then when the United States ended up taking over the, this region, they also didn't care about it. It was just like, here's a bunch of land. Let's just like take, take it over, but it's the wild West and we're not going to really govern it. We're not going to really like care about it too much, which then leads to like artists moving there. It leads to like people in the early 20th century moving from the East coast because they found it to be this totally open landscape where, where free thought, free thought could exist. Um, beatniks and the hippie movement, and Burning Man, and you know all these yeah. this 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 lineage of fringe thinking, basically, that um, you know that is also like in line with substances. Like it's not no surprise that Denver's the place that yeah. led the charge with regards to marijuana, um, or you know Vegas is the place that yeah. leads the charge in so many progressive social movements. You know, so so yeah, it's a special place, and Santa Fe fits right into that mix. Meow Wolf fits right into that mix. 
Well, it seems funny to me that anybody would be surprised that the kids of artists and the grandkids of those uh, right. sort of missional escapists would would generate something like your group, and that's uh, pretty exciting. Uh, not not to be a, considered a, a shock. <laughs> no, totally. I mean, people move to Santa Fe to get to to be outside the norm. You know, like you don't move to Santa Fe yeah. because you want something normal. And so like my, my mom yes. moved there because she wanted to be outside the normal. Her, my grandfather moved there because he wanted to be outside the normal. And, and so then you just, yeah, exactly. You have that. It steps down, of course, through, through our DNA. Yeah. Land of the outliers. I love it. Uh, <laughs> as far as, uh, you know, we, we're, we, we love to understand and talk about how the power of story and art really leads to transformation. And it just strikes me that uh, you guys are onto a, a pretty successful, magical, and uh, maybe even replicable uh, formula. There, I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on how you yeah. how you see either again the transformational power of art and story to kind of work sure. together. Yeah. So, like, actually, within story and art, just those two concepts, you have the two critical ingredients to a transformational experience. Um, story creates a framework of knowability, of known knownness. It's an accessible framework that allows for one to venture into the unknown, which is art, uh, and to do so safely. And in that, in that, and safely matters because, like, we're so afraid of the unknown. We're programmed to be afraid of the unknown. Um, the unknown is where risk exists. It's where starvation exists. It's where like, you know, mm-hmm. the tiger behind the bush exists. Like our brain wants to avoid the unknown because we want to stay alive. But if you can mm-hmm. create an environment of safety and knowability, familiarity, um, then, mm-hmm. then the venturing into the unknown becomes something that uh, you can do um, a bit more courageously. And so that's kind of the formula that mm. Meowth has taken. We call it the accessible unknown. Like mm. we, we provide a framework of, um, you know, pretty standard story and pretty standard environment, like familiar environment. And then we provide the opportunity for a guest to choose to walk into the unknown. And the choice mm. is also a very important aspect. Like the agency provided is a very important aspect of this. Because if you walk into like an experience that takes you into the unknown, but it's done through a queue, a queue line, or it's done through a yeah. map or guide or an operational manual of some sort, or like, you know, a list of tasks, a list, a list of puzzles, like an escape room or something. There's, it's no, it's not the individual's, it's, it's not the individual's transformational moment. Like they're just following a script yeah. at that point. And so you've got to give people the opportunity to explore and discover on their own and 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 it's that leap it's the leap it's the leap of saying like i don't know what's beyond that fridge door i don't know what's i don't know what happens if i go down this this uh you know washing machine slide i just i'm going to choose to do it i'm going to venture into the unknown on my own and it's in that choice where something really magical happens for people um, where they, they realize mm-hmm. that there's a whole universe of unknownness in their own life or in their marriage right. or at their job 
or yeah. whatever that they now have the choice to venture into. Um, and that's yeah, just for the benefit of any of our listeners that haven't experienced, you might just kind of explain that the Omega Mark backstory. Yeah. And then like I said, that, that the rabbit hole that or you the create home. there. Yeah. The house, the house is probably a good example of this. You know, it's, a, it's probably the most direct, like the house of eternal return, which is the first permanent exhibition that Meow Wolf created. Um, and we created it about, uh, eight years after we formed as that social group that I was talking about. So in 2016, we opened the House of Eternal Return. And um, basically, the environment we created was a Victorian house, fully realized that you could walk in and you could explore this Victorian house freely. Um, there's a family that lived there. Yeah. You could go in their rooms. You could go through their drawers, look at their, uh, you know, read their journals, watch their VHS tapes, um, their, their home movies. And then, so you felt very familiar uh, in a very familiar place. And then when you got to the kitchen, let's say, you might open the fridge and the fridge, instead of there being food in there, was like a, is like a long lit hallway that leads into who knows where. And uh, we call them portals. And so then you open the fridge portal, you walk through, and where you end up is in this like massive psychedelic weird art world made up of like all sorts of strange that you can get lost in <laughs> yeah you can get yeah. lost in the very important aspect of this um a place where you you don't have any reference point and that, that you're free to explore without any reference point and so that's our accessible unknown the accessible is the house the unknown is all the art in all of the environments that you then yeah. venture through beyond. And, you know, the, mm, the house mm. takes up about 2000 square feet of space in total. And then the rest of the experience is another 15,000 square feet of space. So, mm -hmm. so it's a lot of explorable unknown art filled environments um, that, you know, that then create a lot of magic for people. You know, it's really the, the essence of magic venturing into the unknown. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I had somebody exp um, tell me about their experience when they, they felt like it, they were going into one of those haunts, like a, you know, a, a, a haunted house and they knew that yeah. something was going to jump out at them and they don't like that, but they do well, like the mystery. And they, they kept com complimenting the fact that I, I was scared but I wasn't scared in the way that somebody's going to leap out or that there's some sort of danger ahead. Yeah. It's I was scared because I needed to discover something. Well, and that's, it's that's more a, about surprise that's a, and delight. Yeah. It's, yes. it's all, it's all good. It's all goodness. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, it's at the heart of it again, it's like, it, it's, it's exploration and discovery. And the thing about those two things is that they can, exploration can only happen within unknown environments. If you know the environment, there's no exploring because you already know it, you know, and this is like, this is something that I talk about with regards to um, Galaxy's Edge, which is like, yeah, it's an incredible world. Like, it's incredible what Disney created. It's, it's, it's stunning. But because it's so directly related to IP that we've seen and that the IP is so limited in its aesthetic, like when you're in a Star Wars world, you you know you're in a Star Wars, Wars Star Wars world, and like it's 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 so familiar that exploration and discovery doesn't happen within Galaxy's Edge, and 
And so like the actual magic, so you, you can spend billions of dollars on a, on a, on a land, but you're not actually delivering the magic that people are looking for. Um, which is really to venture into the yeah, end. That's, that's a great insight um, because I know that the imaginers really tried to create a little bit of that sense of, you know, nonlinearity, sense of discovery, you know, kind of multiple options in terms of the core circulation path. But it, it reminds me of an essay that Ray Bradbury did on being deliriously lost. You know, when, when you find yourself, I, I'm just thinking of an experience of having a long layover in Singapore and wandering out wandering around for 18 hours just having a blast not knowing what's around every corner uh and the diversity from the you know arabian district to the you know the chinese district it was just awesome yeah there was you know there's what there's there's the um the area that has all the shops in galaxy's edge that felt like kind of the most off the beaten path and the most right. kind of like natural in that sense but gosh there could have been so many opportunities to go like down this weird corner, down this alleyway, over behind this building, you know, but there's, there's an operational control. See, there's, yep. see, this is, this is where there's like, it runs really deep because like we want, why can't they create a bunch of side paths? Well, because it's going to be tough to operate and it's going to be unsafe because it's going to be, because we don't know how to manage something like that. And, and so no ability, knownness, familiarity, is something that is um, uh, it's a it's a pervasive quality of not only the <laughs> entertainment industry but of our own minds. Like our own brains right. have this pervasive toxic virus that wants to control <laughs> and wants to know everything, and is and yeah. and then it ends up it ends up showing itself, especially in the physical world. Like it shows itself over and over again. Like. Why do suburban developments suck so bad? Because they're so familiar, because they're so safe, because they're so yeah. known, you know? And why do we do that? Because like, we need to know the costs of building buildings and the fi finance organizations need to know how much these buildings cost and construction companies need to know exactly how to build them. And like, it's just this domino yeah. effect that starts with our own brain. Like we're, we're scared of the unknown, we're scared of death, you know? And so we, we, we create these like, sad boxes that we ultimately end up rotting in. Like we create these identities that we end up like becoming slaves to caged by, you know? And, and like yeah. I call this identity. They're starting to scare me Vince. No, but it's so true. Like it's. Inter Go ahead. Interestingly enough, I see an opportunity with all these uh, decaying, emptied, abandoned malls of generica uh, that uh, have all these dead, department stores where, you know, the, the perfect solution for some of these dead anchors could be, totally. uh, you know, uh, an area 15 or, a, uh, a those, mega mart or, you know, one of your, you know, vortexes. Those malls, though, <laughs> like, like those malls are also who we become when we turn 55 years old. Like they, that is midlife mm -hmm. crisis. That is the empty shell, the thing <laughs> yeah. that used to work and doesn't work anymore and is soulless and yeah. spiritless and doesn't have any, you know, doesn't take any risks. Like, like we, like humans are those malls. And the, so the work yeah. is, yes, like we definitely need to go into these malls and people like Winston Fisher, you know, have brilliant ideas for things like Area 15 or Meow Wolf. But really it's like, we need to do work on ourselves to, um, to crack the, these identities. And that's where I'm so interested in like the psychedelic therapy 
uh, revolution because it's doing the exact same thing. It's getting people out of this like context of this fixed context that is actually killing us, that is actually making us feel really sad and depressed in our lives and filled with anxiety. Mm-hmm. And it's coming in and saying like, <laughs> actually the unknown is a totally fine place to go to, you know? And so, yeah. I, and I'm yeah. just tying it back to that because it's hard for, for listeners at home to go and transform a shopping mall. You know, not everybody can go and transform yes. a shopping mall, but like you can transform yourself and you can understand how you play into right. the same problem, the same, the same problem that we see everywhere. So, yeah, there's this yeah, absurdist that, that idea. Of, oh, go ahead, Freddie. There's this absurdist uh, expectation in that you have to sort of shrug off what you're used to, the, the, the cage, the box that you're used to. I think about that. I forget what the name of the product it is that that you guys put out that sock that goes from face to face. That's the new social media tool, which is yeah. <laughs> you just the look at one other person's face for a while and. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the experience. It's a, a brilliant genius product that um, actually works. Like I don't know if you've tried it, but if you get into an experience dude, which is basically like this like long tube of fabric that you attach to your face and then you attach it to another person's face. You, if you stay in there for like 10, 15, 20 minutes with somebody, you reach like a fucking transcendental state with like, because you you're there with just another human, not even their bodies, just their face. And it becomes like an incredibly powerful experience. Uh, That's wonderful. Well, yeah, that power of uh, getting people out of the, the mundane, you know, whether it's survival or just the routine, uh, is, is so, so, uh, key to, to what we do. Um, Hey, um, I know you have got a time crunch. I I really would love to, to pick your brain and in this season of meow wolf and yourself, you know, as you've transitioned, uh, your role, do you mind just talking about that kind of what that transition means for you and the, and the team and what's next with, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, you know, when Meow started in 2008, I kind of was a de facto uh, social momentum uh, leader. Like I, I, call, I called meetings. I put out donation boxes for people to put money into. Um, I set agendas. Uh, I, I liked to market what we did. I like to get people through the door. So I kind of just like ended up in that position. Um, it led to fundraising, writing grants, um, you know, whatever kind of budget we could pull for these projects, I, I would be the one that was trying to make that happen. Then that naturally transitioned into being the CEO when we finally started a company. Um, and so I was CEO from 2014 until 2019, from the time that we opened the House of Eternal Return to then growing the company, about 500 employees at the time, uh, built but got a production facility and then signed leases in Vegas and in Denver. And um, then the big kind of cap to it all is I went out and I raised the capital necessary to get Vegas and Denver paid, uh, you know, paid for. And so it's about $150 million that we went out and raised to get those projects actually built. And it was at that point where I was just like, all right, I think because like the capital raise, <laughs> it killed me. It just like it killed me. I was, I was a broken version of myself. Um, by the end of it and, um, wired in all sorts of weird, nervous ways. And so I knew I had to take a step, a step back. And it was, it was actually in the best interest of the company for me to take a step back because there's no way we would have, we would have gotten these, uh, 
these projects open if I had still been the, the CEO. So I decided in 2019 to take a step down and I remained on the board of directors and a senior consultant to the company for the last couple of years. And uh, recently went into a, a proper search for a new CEO. And I was lucky enough to be on that search committee and to interview all the candidates and to find someone who resonated uh, with Meow Wolf and had the experience necessary. So yeah, we found this amazing candidate. His name's Jose Tolosa. And uh, we made him an offer and he he took it. So he he moved over from from Viacom CBS, big media company, obviously. And uh, he, he was a, a, a chief officer over at Viacom, but he saw this as a really unique opportunity at Meow Wolf. And so um, he took the job and I couldn't be more excited. Like I'm, I'm more excited for Meow Wolf today than I ever have been. And that's the, that's the honest truth. Yeah. Um, my role remains as a board member and as a senior consultant. And I, you know, I, I hope that I get to be a part of the company in a really, you know, fun and creative way moving forward. I don't know what that looks like and it's not, you know, it's not up to me to decide, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm psyched. I'm psyched for the moment. So I just, I just want to be crazy founder Vince, you know, I want to be crazy founder Vince that can come (laughs) up with a thousand crazy (laughs) ideas and maybe one out of every thousand be like, you know, can be adopted. So I I gotta say, uh, as a, as a founder, uh, and still pretty involved, I'm, I'm a little jealous right now. You're looking pretty darn relaxed, man. Thanks, man. (laughs) I do a lot of that work of like breaking the cage of identity, you know, and like get out into nature a lot and try to look at the stars and bring perspective to my life in order to keep that sense of relaxation. It's an ongoing struggle. I love it. I was just curious. We talk about our team having a motley crew of artists, architects, artisans. I imagine you've got more than just a kind of a, 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 a band of artists these days within the the disciplines of the organization. Oh yeah. Um, no, I mean, could you talk about just kind of that range of crazy creatives that you've got collected there? Yeah. So like when, when I stepped down as CEO, we were filled with every medium of artists that you could imagine. I mean, architects, animators, filmmakers, illustrators, graphic designers, uh, you know, painters, fabricators, welders, everything. And, and then, but the piece that we were missing was project management and, um, like product production, um, producers. So we hired, a um, a former Imagineer, uh, to come into the company and she built out a pretty robust and impressive infrastructure of like themed entertainment producers, um, did an incredible job. And so that's, that's kind of what we have now is like, we have all of those, you know, artist pieces, but now with production capacity and, um, and that's where the balance, you know, there's a a balance that needs to be found there where, cause they kind of, they speak different languages, you know, one comes from a place of knowability and one comes from a place of unknowability. And, um, Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting balance, but you know, and I think it's it's a the different dance begins. It's a, it's a dance, and it's a, and it's different for different phases. You know, like early on, you have a creative phase that has different different voices need to be heard in those phases. When you get to like fabrication and install, different voices need to be heard. 
And, um, yeah, you got to balance that. But like, there's, you know, there's a a kind of way of thinking about this that I um, like to reference from Terrence McKenna, who talked about the uh, balance between order and chaos. And, um, or you can Mm -hmm. look at it as um, control or spontaneity, control versus spontaneity. And um, it's important to remember that of those two distinct variables, one of the two wants more control and that's control. So like the pervasive, (laughs) the real pervasive variable out of the two is control. It wants to have more control. It wants to take up more control because that's what it is. It's control. And so like you have to really check control because it will take over and completely squash spontaneity if you're not, if you're not careful. How do you tell a story when people listen with more than their ears? Stories change lives. They make us remember, but only when they're felt and not just heard. Storyland Studios builds the impossible. We turn big ideas into reality. We tell stories in three dimensions to stir the senses so you can walk into places you've only seen in your dreams, in real life and real time. Storyland's artists, architects, and artisans take stories out of the imagination and build tangible dreams that leave lasting impressions and memories that endure for years. What's your story? Storyland Studios is themed entertainment, destination design, production, and fabrication. Connect with the team at Storyland Studios to get started building your impossible dream today. Visit StorylandStudios.com or call now. 800-218-1932. That's 800-218-1932. Storyland Studios, your big ideas, best ally. It's really cool. And it brings me to a thought that I've been having. I I wore, I went to IAPA, uh, the, the conference for themed entertainment uh, attractions and all of that. And uh, I saw uh, sat with a session with Todd Richens and Amanda Clay uh, from your team. And they, uh, they exposed or showed the, uh, the simulation that they had gone through for convergent station to see how people will experience it and, and sort of uh, take some of the guessing work. And it was just an extensive amount of data that they had had gathered to create the models that would say, Hey, we're going to send people upstairs, downstairs. They're going to discover this. They're going to come back. How long can they stay here? Where, you know, where are they going to park? When, when are they tired? Right. It was an amazing amount of math, right. Paired with animation. And, and I think that's a such a far cry from probably th- the first installation of garbage <laughs> trash on a wall in uh, San Jose, yeah. but yet it Something. it comes yeah. from a similar place, right? Um, yeah. So, so just for the listeners, the the House of Eternal Returns in Santa Fe, not San Jose. Um, but I'm uh, sorry. It's okay. I, 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 I was people, just in San Jose. driving to San Jose to you know to experience how and then nothing's there. Perfect, um, but, perfect. <laughs> but yeah, I think um, 
it's yeah, it's funny you bring that up in in this context because like that's a good example of like like you know you can you can dig into data endlessly like there's you can analyze forever you know and like never act never you know you know never actually get to the human experience you know directly i mean and it's a balance like we did we do you know did we do any of that work for house of eternal return no none of it like we had no idea how the how the how the exhibition was going to operate um we have pinch points we have throughput problems we have like technology issues at the house like and so had we done some of that work we probably could have mitigated some of these issues but if you do too much of that work then there's a, there's a spirit that gets that gets squashed mm. like there's there's a there's a people people can sense risk and people are okay with failure they're okay with like mistake you know because there's something authentic about about failure and there's something relatable about failure but when when you go through like hyper corporate processes in order to create hyper corporate product that is super safe and super predictable and super risk averse then what you end up with is a vapid product that is unrelatable mm-hmm. and doesn't feel like it was built by humans it feels like it was built by data yeah and that's yeah. that's ultimately that's antithetical to everything that has made meow wolf so special and so resonant with 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 uh with guests so it's again it goes back to that balance um it's not like the answer is not get rid of all control and the answer is not get rid of all spontaneity um i oftentimes say like we know people in our lives like this where they're so they're they're so analytical and they're so um procedural and they've got everything planned and you want to just shake them and be like yo like go on a hike or something like do something that's like you know do something like a little little bit adventurous man like wake up you know you want to shake them loose a little bit and then you have people on the other side of it who are like couch surfing and can't hold a job and like can't even have a a straight conversation because they can barely form their own thoughts and you're like dude get your shit together you know and so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there there's a healthy balance in there somewhere you know and it's it's important sure. to try to find it <laughs> i appreciate that you know what you're saying speaks such a wisdom and insight into even you know our industry you know that that uh in, in some some yeah. people would root it at uh you know maybe someone like walt disney but uh, you know when you talk about uh you know things that are led by data by industrial engineers, project managers, executives, yeah. uh, you know, boards, it, it just is not, it definitely starts steering away from art and, um, and squash sure. the, it can squash the creativity. Right. Or the big one or the big one that, that you didn't bring up the big, the big one that controls a lot is the IP, you know, like how, yeah. how much uh, right, are yeah. we, how much are we just painting by numbers, you know? And right. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah, I know that I know that there's a lot of people in the themed entertainment industry who I'm sure I'm speaking to here, and um, it's, it's something that I hope Meow Wolf can positively influence in the world of themed entertainment. You know, I, I think um, risk taking is okay. Artistry is what people want to see. The unexpected is actually really valuable. Um, 
And yeah, it's, it's especially prevalent in the themed entertainment world. And I think it's because it's especially prevalent in Disney, you know, in the, in, in, in the Disney right. corporate universal and Disney. I mean, there's, yeah, at least in the, in, under current management. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I mean, and, and it's, and it's, it's too bad because obviously we all know the story of how Disney came to be and it was not, it was, it was out of, it was out of risk. It was because of risk taking that we're here. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, but I, I, you know, I think that to, to, to their, to their credit and to, and to universal's credit, there's been, there have definitely been big risk taking leaps over the past decade that are remarkable. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, Pandora is remarkable, like absolutely yeah. stunningly remarkable. And, and Harry Potter is remarkable, you know. Well, I and, think most Imagineers I know they know, you know, that Nocturnality could never have happened, you know, under Disney's uh, system, you know, uh, it just because yeah. of all the rules it's breaking from a flow oh, yeah. and legibility. Pirates, pirates wouldn't have happened. I mean, you're not going to create something that doesn't yeah. have previously known IP and go underground with a big water ride right. like that. But, you know, I think that there is a lot of, uh, I think there is some, some thinking that is, is shifting around this, but you know, it's tough when you become a publicly owned company, things change. And when you have a brand that you're so precious about, you know, it really comes down to like, are you protecting who you have been or are you adventure? Are you courageously moving towards who you're becoming? <laughs> and I think that like some, you know, that's like kind of the fundamental shift in thinking. And, and I think when you build a brand and you build a company that is so valuable, like Disney, you have to protect who you have been. And, um, but you do that for so long, then you're going to stop, you're going to, you're going to, you're going to stop releasing things that people actually find interesting, you know? Um, and I think, you know, so I think it's a good conversation to have generally in this, in this industry. That's interesting. Uh, cause we, uh, we talk about the our our guests a lot or our visitors, um, individuals, you know, trying to take them on that hero's journey. But in in a lot of ways, um, you know, families, companies, organizations, um, and even industries, you know, in in some ways has that parallel of uh, going on that hero's journey as well, and either transform into a butterfly or or you die at some point. Totally, and it's <laughs> and, and of course like. When we're all 16 years old, it's all about who we're becoming. And we have this spirit and this like yeah. magic to us. And then you get to 35, 40 years old, 45 years old. And it's like, oh, well, now I have to kind of protect who I've been. And and then that's what creates midlife crisis. And then it takes like a real, um, a real courageous attempt to circumvent that, that context, to circumvent that identity. And some, some companies have done it, uh, I think. Pretty well, I think Disney has done it with the acquisition of with the acquisition of Marvel and Star Wars started to like expand who it is that they are. Um, but gosh, I would like to see. I would love to just see the like the skill set of the Imagineers unleashed on the world in a much more radical way. Like just how incredible that would be um, for the human race to like see that artistry and that amount of money, that amount of budget. Uh, the things that could be possible would be remarkable. Well, you're showing them how to do it. (laughs) There's a lot of them out there. So yeah, yeah, thanks for, thanks for paving the way. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we never even knew we were part of the themed entertainment world until we got a Thea award. <laughs> yeah. Like the irony. Is like, yeah. We're, we're honored to, that you're darkening our door, man. And uh, I mean, you guys <laughs> yeah. are, now and you it's guys funny because respect I grew up like, I'm like such a roller coaster amusement park, theme park freak. <laughs> like I'm obsessed. And uh, I, I have been obsessed since I was a teenager. But I never thought that Meow Wolf is part of that world. But somehow my work, my like, yeah, my right. have collided here, you know? And so I, I love it. It's great. Well, I, I know it's a danger and it's probably, you've probably experienced it to some degree, is that the skill sets that your team's are building are going to make our makes them quite uh the needed uh asset for some of these companies that are trying to make that happen so you know keep a tight tight rein on everybody help them uh see that you've got that uh, creative the creative edge there yeah for sure i mean that's that's definitely one of the big challenges of the moment is like being a growing company and still figuring out you know and we're and we're working with like artists like artist artists folks who would yeah. not even take a job at Imagineering if it was offered to them. Um, and right. so how to value that artistic brilliance, um, wow. and in a way that's in, in a way that's, I think, cause another thing about the themed entertainment world and not to continue to kind of like, you know, dig in there, but you know, the individual artist is not credited or valued in right. that industry. Like I can think of one right. person, uh, Joe Rody, whose name kind of gets thrown around as the, as a creative, as a, as a creative mastermind. But other than that, you don't really have that. Whereas in the world of like, you know, film and television, if you create something, everybody gets credit, people know, you know, like they know that you're a brilliant cinematographer. They know that you're a brilliant director, a brilliant actor, and there's a lot more space for that expression. And so I think that's something that we have to try to also bring in, which is like be a themed entertainment company, but that that operates and looks at its creatives more like um, a Hollywood studio might look at its creatives, you know, and um, yeah. so that's that's all part of the learning process this is all part of the growth that we're doing right now. That's amazing. Well, on that note, hey, thank you so much for joining us today. This has uh, been really exciting to get to know you. Sure. I hope to meet you in person. Uh, thanks to this whole work from home thing, it becomes a little easier to meet people. Uh, but uh, we'll have to see you in person uh, in your creative, most creative form sometime soon. I would love that. Yeah, thanks for having me. But I have to ask you guys a question before I go. What What are your sure, just because you're in the industry in the industry and so into it? What are your favorite? What's your number great one question? What's your number one ride? Oh boy. Well, okay. So I'm going to, I'll break through my obvious answer. I, I, I used to be a jungle cruise skipper. So the jungle cruise to me is the perfect immersion where you got the goofy guy or girl telling you jokes as you go through the jungle. But, uh, that pirate ride always had my heart. Well, yeah. I'm going to have to go with my go-to standard, uh, Peter Pan's flight, you know, and, and part of it is because it is actually, one of my first two memories uh and you know flying out that window uh from the darling uh mansion and then the the second early memory is bombs going off in vietnam so i think i i don't know i probably gravitate towards the, <laughs> the happy memory there but uh yeah it's kind of fused some weird wiring i think in my brain but uh yeah i still yeah. love the the critical mass of 
the, how how small that footprint is and the amount of magic per square foot created in that yeah. space. It's good. I, I, what about you? I, I kind of, I don't know. I kind of have to separate it, I guess, into three categories. One is like remin, reminiscent, <laughs> what's most influential and that's pirates. Right. For sure. Nostalgic. Yeah. Yeah. Nostalgic. Sure. And that's, that's pirates like for sure for me, like pirates was probably the most influential piece of media that, uh, of my life, you know? Um, and then, Absolutely. you know, modern, which would be flight of passage and then, um, yeah. And then, and then roller coaster, I think I have to have as a separate category, uh, which is yeah, Avengers. Sure. Nice. Oh, that's great. That's great. We, I just rode the uh, Velasa coaster at Universal at Islands yeah. of Adventure. And that's yeah. based on the Jurassic Park thing. That one beats you up, dude. That is a roller coaster a with some teeth, let's just say. I know. I, and I was, I was hearing all this hype, like Velasco coaster is one, you know, best roller coaster in the world. And I was like, I was pissed off about it as a coaster fanatic. I was just like, you can't just come out and start saying that you're the best coaster in the world like that, you know? And then, so I wrote it with a lot of skepticism and I got off the ride and I was like, that is one of the best roller coasters in the world. That's probably my number two <laughs> roller coaster in the world is Velasco coaster. Yeah, it's it's awesome. It's well, fun. yeah, those those Rocky Mountain construction conversions, you know, I, I think Rocky. I'm pretty sure uh, Twisted Colossus is one of those out yeah. here. They, they are definitely my favorite category. And I will say that Mean Streak was one of my least favorite coasters before it got redeemed and yeah. resurrected. So, yeah, that yeah, I, it I'm, almost caused me to miss a flight. It's the only time I've lost a wallet right out of my pocket. Right. <laughs> It's incredible. Arm, the RMC revolution thing is just awesome. And it's so nice to have like a, a company from the United States, you know, from the Midwest, like yeah, doing baby. so well in the coaster world, you know, just being and creating, creating these roller coasters that are like, they're the, they're the epitome of a coaster. They're the dream. It's like when I have dreams at night of riding a roller coaster, that's the type of roller coaster I'm running. It's like super smooth and doing these yeah. crazy elements and like, yeah, RMC. Uh, lo- I love those guys. Okay, I'm 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 sensing a, a Storyland Studios RMC Meow Wolf collaboration here uh, yes. coming soon. You heard it first here, folks. It's no brainer. <laughs> no brainer. Yeah, I had a chance to talk with, with <laughs> Freddie with Freddie Gibbs from RMC, and I was like so excited about the possibility of a Meow Wolf RMC uh, collaboration. But all right, let's go. Let's meet up in. Uh, Tampa and ride Iron Gwazi together. I'm going to be Sounds out there. In like, I'm going to be out there at the like, end of February. Awesome. And I'm actually heading your way to uh, meet up with the, uh, the uh, American Indian Arts Institute uh, oh, nice. school. We're doing some collaborative work together. So definitely. Oh, they're amazing, that. man. IAI is incredible. Yeah. Awesome institution. Yeah. That's cool. Well, well, hit me up when you're out in Santa Fe. Will do. All cool. right. Well, thanks, gentlemen. It's been fun. It has. Thanks for having me. So that is, it's a fun interview with uh, Vince and to hear his heart and his spirit for exploration and trying to find new ways to um, excite people and excite himself. Right. As an artist, uh, you kind of have to uh, stimulate 
that artistic part in you and and going through the process of becoming some from founder of an art collective to the CEO of something amazing and big that's that's really kind of moving cities to draw them there and ask them to come to their city right so here here's uh, somebody from uh, the smallest to the biggest possible situation and he has taken that and had to come up with creative ways now that he's leaving that behind. Yeah. Remind, it reminds me of the drawing power that the cathedrals once had, you know, and people are living in straw and bale and, and just mud and, you know, and then just, again, the, the wow factor that they would have experienced that taste of heaven and in, in stepping into a Gothic cathedral uh, or, you know, even in recent times, you know, the whole rise of star architecture and right. you know, the, the Bill Bow and the, you know, the Frank Gehry, um, kind of celebrity architect uh, thing, you know, as as being catalyst for um, kind of recognition and transformation of cities. And, you know, what I love about this is, you know, it's just as visceral and experiential and catalytic, but the the roots in something that's so much, you know, uh, more humble in a way and and in a way kind of sincere and authentic is really pretty powerful. Yeah, and it it does bring to mind the exploration factor that everybody wants to find something new. I think we're wired to walk out the door and hope that something has changed, whether it's the uh, the weather or uh, a, a new neighbor walking down the street. And uh, the idea of exploration and discovery is hardwired into the Meow Wolf experience. And I think that's something that people in our industry are trying to really dive into and bring to the surface the idea of having agency. Certainly, if you get on a train, the train is going to go and take you wherever it wants to go, uh, where the train is headed. But uh, imagine going into places where you are the one driving the engine and you are the one who takes it off-road and goes wherever it needs to be. And that's what Meow Wolf is doing. And um, I think we're seeing it now more than ever the need within the themed entertainment industry to create opportunities for people to do something on their own that they discover there in your park attraction, whatever. Well, you, you definitely on something, Freddie, um, you know, so much of the rules of our industry in terms of throughput and industrial engineering capacity really are kind of, uh, the opposite of that, frankly, you know, right. the, a linear ride path, um, you know, kind of a, a certain throughput. And, um, you know, the, what we're finding is, especially with the convergence of gaming uh, and themed experiences, uh, is that, that, that there's an increased expectation, um, I think, for future audiences to, to have more of a role beyond what we used to just call interactive and, you, right. know, shoot, you know, digital shooters or whatever, I think, right. to, to truly, uh, again, be participants in their story and not just, uh, you know, sit and enjoy the view behind uh, an Omnimover or a Doom Buggy. <laughs> uh, as awesome as that, that has been for so many decades, there's a next level of engagement required. Yeah, and we can thank uh, Meow Wolf for sort of uh, cracking that open in uh, a brand new way. Well, Mel, the shadows keep getting longer out here in the jungle, and uh, I think it's time to head for home. What do you say? Sounds awesome. All right, until next time. Thanks, Mel. 
The Themed Attraction Podcast is hosted by Freddie Martin and Mel McGowan. We want you to know we don't take your listening for granted. You guys mean so much to us. We cannot thank you enough for listening to this show. It just makes us so happy and makes us want to do it more. Thank you. Thank you very much. We want to thank our special guest, Vince Cadlubeck. You can connect with him on LinkedIn and immerse yourself in the alternate worlds of Meow Wolf on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Get access to more stories and interviews at themedattraction.com. Start your own profile, discuss the latest advancements, and interact with your fellow theme park designers around the world. Follow the action on Instagram and Twitter at themedattraction and join our active discussion group on LinkedIn. Connect with Mel by email via mel at storylandstudios.com or follow him on Twitter at Mel McGowan and Instagram at Visioneer. You can find me at freddymartin.net and follow my adventures at Skipper Freddy on Instagram and Twitter. Our theme music was composed by Rob Watson, other music provided by The Lost Dogs. This episode was designed and produced by the one and only Dr. Barry Hill. Barry is the author of Imagineering an American Dreamscape, the genesis, evolution, and redemption of the regional theme park. This book tells the epic stories of regional theme parks and the strong-willed visionaries behind them. Some of the stories you may have heard, most you probably haven't, and it's a fascinating tale to tell. It's available to purchase on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or direct from the publisher at rivershorecreative.com. You know, Mel, Barry wasn't always a hit podcast producer. He used to cut down bamboo for a living. Till he got the axe. Tried to be a butcher. Couldn't cut it. Tried his hand as a tailor. Didn't suit him. Thanks for listening, folks. He worked in an orange juice factory. Until he got canned. Couldn't concentrate.